Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh, and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came, and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast all that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many of you have ever heard of John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania? I didn't think so. Let me tell you about John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania. 1968 is the year. The Olympics are in Mexico City. John Stephen Akwari was a marathon runner, and he easily qualified for the Olympics to run that race. But in the race, he encountered an obstacle that he had never encountered before. You see, the elevation of Mexico City is a lot higher than Tanzania. And the air is a lot thinner. And the thin air created problems for him. And as he ran very early into the race, his legs began to cramp. But you know what? He kept running. Somewhere about midway of the race, he ran into some other runners, tangled up with them, and he fell, and he dislocated his knee, and he skinned, and he scraped himself pretty badly, and he kept running. Finally, he enters the stadium. You know, they always end the, the marathon in a stadium. He labored on. He finished the race. He was one of 75 people to start the race and one of only 57 to finish the race, by the way. And he entered the stadium and he crossed the finish line about one hour after the winner of the race had crossed the finish line. After the race, they interviewed Mr. Akwari and they just asked him, why? 
after you have the problems with the cramps in your legs and after you fell and you dislocated your, your kneecap and, and you had all of these other problems, why didn't you just drop? So many others dropped out. Why didn't you just quit? You know what he said? He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. Listen, folks, God did not save us just so we could start the race. God saved us so we could be faithful and we could serve him faithfully to the very end of the race. And that's what this message, I believe, is about today. Teaching on the last days, Jesus reminded us so many times that we are to be ready and faithfully serving him when he comes. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 and verse 44, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And then he says in verse 44, therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. When we are not expecting, you say, well, how can we not expect the Lord's return? How many of us will get up tomorrow morning and say, this could be the day that Jesus returns? Or the next day, this could be the day. How many of us got up this morning and said, this could be the day? You know, we're supposed to meet at 6 o'clock tonight. If the Lord comes, whoever's here can close up things up when they leave, okay? <laughs> Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now I know that I have told you sort of tongue-in-cheek, I know when Jesus is coming back, the exact moment when he's coming back, but I don't know the day or the hour, but I know when the Father says it's time, it's time, okay? And we can know the season, but we cannot know the day or the hour. Paul reminded the folks in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. He said, look, the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. I don't know if you've ever lost things to a thief. The only place my vehicle was ever broken into was at church. Amen. They knew I was going to be in there for a certain length of time. And they broke into my car and they stole some things. And you know, that thief didn't even have the decency to call me and say, look, while you're at church tonight, I'm going to break into your car. Right? Thieves don't do that. They come when we are not expecting them. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying about the Lord's coming. When we're not expecting him to come, that's when he's going to come. It's going to be sudden and it's going to take us by surprise. Many folks by surprise. Many saved folks by surprise, I believe. But while we wait on the Lord's return, see, you say, well, what if he doesn't return in my lifetime? That's all right. He'll, he'll come back. Listen, if you die before he comes, you're going to go with him anyway. Be with him anyway. You're going to go first. You're going to go ahead of those folks who have to wait for him to come back, right? We always like to be in first place. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody to, to leave us, right? But see, he's coming back. But while we wait, for him to come back, what are we supposed to be doing? We're not to be stargazers. The angels ask at one point to these men after Jesus has ascended into heaven, why stand you gazing up into heaven? You know, Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven. And there's that picture in the first chapter of Acts when he's just ascending up into heaven. And I can... I just have a vision in my mind of what was taking place because I think this is the way I'd be. If the Lord just started descending up into heaven in front of me, I'd be standing there like that, mouth wide open, just gazing. What what's going on? But those men in white apparel, which were angels, stood by and said, Why stand ye gazing 
up into heaven. This same Jesus, which you see going to heaven, is coming back. And he had given them a work to do, hadn't he? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're to be witnesses into all the world. Here's what the master, you know, we have a similar parable in the book of Luke, like the one here in Matthew. One's the parable of the pounds, the other's the parable of the talents. In Luke 19, we have a, the Lord is picturing in a certain nobleman who said to his servants, occupy till I come. That's the word I want to consider for just a moment. What does it mean to occupy? And that's the reason for the title of this message. See, a lot of people think occupy just means to take up space. That's not what occupy means. This word occupy, you know what it means? It means to be busy. It means to be at work in a business. Now, have you ever gone into a restaurant? We talk about the word wait. Have you ever had a waiter? Well, that didn't mean you've got somebody, now I think some do this, but at least some of the ones I've experienced, just sit down and do nothing. But that's not what it means to wait a table, does it? It means to be busy. It means to be serving. And so whether you use the word wait or whether you use the word occupy, all of it indicates an activity. All of it indicates being busy doing something. So what are you doing? Are you occupying? Or are you just taking up space? Now, what we read here in Matthew, is, like I said, is commonly called the parable of the talents. It sets forth our responsibility as children of God, and it sets forth our responsibility as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this church has an institutional work to do, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said, all power, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. He said, go ye therefore and teach or disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. What is the institutional work of this church? Go into the world. Preach the gospel. See, you can't make a disciple out of somebody that's lost, can you? And so the first part of discipleship is bringing people to Christ. But we're to go into the world, and we're to make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our institutional work. And here's why I call it institutional work. Because this institutional work will not be accomplished without individual effort. Right? A church that has nobody witnessing is not a witnessing church. You say, oh, but we have services every Sunday. I've heard this, and this is sort of a lame excuse. Lost people know where we are. Let them come and hear the gospel. Guess what? Pardon the grammar. They ain't coming. Satan's given them a lot of other things to do. There's television, there's golf, there's fishing, there's sales, there's shopping, there's, you just name it, they're sleeping in on Sunday morning. There's a lot of things for the lost world to do and they're not going to just come and so the lost world needs people like us, individual members of this church, fulfilling the institutional responsibility of this church to carry the gospel into all the world and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. So as members of this church, we have a work to do. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we're going to look at this parable. We're going to take it apart. Four points in this message this morning. As we take it apart, as we look at it, we're going to see Jesus reveal to us our responsibilities and our labor as members of this church. And first of all, we see in verse 14 what I call the departure. The departure. In Luke, in the parable of the pounds, there a nobleman went to receive a kingdom 
And something similar may be taking place here. You see, in that day when Rome ruled the earth, this would not be unusual. Herod the Tetrarch, who was over about one-fourth of the country of Palestine, had to go to Rome. See, Caesar didn't come to him. He had to go to Rome, and he had to see Caesar and have his kingdom in Palestine bestowed upon him by Caesar. So he was a nobleman. He went away to receive a kingdom, and he came back. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what? I will. We talked about trusting the Lord's promises in Sunday school this morning. There's one you can hang your hat on right there. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. Jesus is coming back and we're going to go and be with him. Now, I think Jesus is pictured here in the master of this household who went to travel into a foreign country. Because you know what a New Testament church is pictured as? A house in the Word of God. We're pictured as both a body and we're pictured as a house. We are members of His body. But we are part of the household of God. Just look over, if you will, for a moment to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read verse 19, Paul speaking to one church, the church at Ephesus. He says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and what? And of the household of God. So this is a household of God. In God's assessment of us in 1 Peter, the second chapter beginning in verse 9, he said this, but ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, I like that. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should do what? That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is our job? To show the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his light, which in time past were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God didn't save us to sit on a pew. Amen. I'm glad we come and we sit. I, I hope we do more than just sit on a pew. You know? Sing the songs of praise to God. Glorify God. Worship God. Have a part in the service. But he didn't save us just to come in and plop down. Amen. God saved us that we can show forth his praises. We see in our text that the Lord of this house called his servants together. And when he called them together, it says he delivered them his goods. In other words, he gave them a work to do. We love, as Baptist folks, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, don't we? Yeah, brother, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See there, it's not of works. It's of, by God's grace through faith. Amen, I agree with you, but there's a tenth verse. Are we, how can we quote verses 9, 8 and 9 and not verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works, but we are saved in order to work for God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the coming of Christ, and that is our great hope as the people of God. But look what it says about Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. How much iniquity? 
all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. We are to be, now I understand missionary Baptist folks are some peculiar people, but that's not what that word means. We're special people. We're purchased people. We're God's own particular people and we're to be zealous of what? Good works. I think so many people want to add works to salvation. We've gotten afraid of works. We've gotten afraid of talking about works. Listen, you're not saved by works, but you're saved in order to work. I'll say it again. And that's why we have been redeemed to work for the Lord. Zealous means to be passionate. Zealous means to be boiling, bubbling. Listen, are, are you boiling? Are we as a church boiling for God and boiling for the Lord Jesus today? Joni fixed some soup last night for supper. I'm not normally a soup eater, but I saw this recipe on Facebook and I said, that looks good, and I printed it off, and she fixed it, and it was good. But for about the last 15 or 20 minutes, you know what it said to do with it? Simmer. Simmer. And it just sat there simmering until it was time to take it off the stove and to eat it. Well, we're not supposed to just be simmering. We're supposed to be boiling we're doing passionate for the things of God. Oh, I see people that can be passionate about politics. This is my candidate. You ought to support him. Well, if he's any good, I might. I won't tell you what I think about most politicians. This is this product, and I love this product. You ought to try it. Well, I might. And people can so boiling, so, so I almost said head up, okay? Boy, my southern roots are beginning to show, aren't they? I almost got so head up that, you know, sports. Oh, man, this is my team. I can't help it. I'll skip church Sunday to go watch my team play, okay? Preacher, you're meddling now, right? We get so passionate about so many things. And then somebody walks out one Sunday morning and they're saved. Want to be baptized, follow the Lord in baptism, become a member of the church. Boy, I hope the invitation doesn't take too long. Boy, it's quiet in here, folks. <laughs> it's awfully quiet in here. I told you I don't go for toes. I go for the heart. We need to be zealous. The purpose of our work individually and the purpose of our work as a church is to bring glory to God unto him. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Let your light so shine, Jesus said, among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We don't work to glorify us. Preacher didn't pat me on the back because of something I did. Glorify God with it. Hey, if the preacher, you know how your pastor is. He's forgetful anyway. Right? So if he forgets to pat you on the back, just forgive me. I appreciate it. I want you to know in advance, whatever you do for the Lord and for this church, for the Lord through this church, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And there's your pat on the back. Just hang on to that. You may need it someday because I may forget, all right? And then we see in verse 15, there's the departure. Then we see the, the distribution. What did he distribute to them? Talents. What's a talent? It's money. It's equal to about $1,000. This makes this a universal illustration. We all understand money, don't we? You may not understand math. You may not understand science or history, but you can understand money. I got five $1 bills in my pocket. I can't buy that thing that's $10, okay? We all understand money. And look at the division. He gave, this householder gave to every man according to his several ability. That word several means his own particular ability. 
there are talents that people have that I don't have. The only I decided the only talent I have is I can talk. You know, thank the Lord I got that one. He can use it. But there are people with beautiful voices that can sing. There are people that can play instruments because they have that ability. By the way, you know the difference between a talent and a gift? When we're talking about gifts in the New Testament, a gift couldn't be improved upon. If God gave you a gift, you had it. But see, we have talents today, and you can always improve on a talent. You can always get better at playing the piano. You can always get better at singing. Hopefully, I can always get better at preaching. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll improve someday. But a talent can be approved of, and he gave according to one's own private particular ability. Each of us has some capacity to offer God in service to him. I don't know. You say, Brother Jim, what is mine? I don't know. If you don't know what it is, ask God to show you what it is. But listen to this. God expects no more out of us than our ability allows. Okay? Well, I can't do everything God wants me to do. Well, God doesn't want you to do everything. He wants you to do to the furthest point of your ability. He wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want all of you and all part of somebody else. He wants you, every bit of you, according to your ability. But I expect, believe that he expects us to study and to work and try to improve our abilities as children of God. Galatians chapter 6, beginning verse 2, says this. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That burden right there talks about a pressure of a weight that may be transferred. Sometimes there are things that we need help with. And God gives us people to help us. You know, I made some very special prayer requests this morning in Sunday school. And we're not going to go into those and ask this class not to share them out of that class. But God gives us some very special people to help us bear our burdens. Because he says this, For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. Wait a minute. Didn't it, because he's going to say every man shall bear his own burden. Wait a minute, Lord. What are you saying here? There's some burdens you can help each other bear. We can help each other bear. There's some burdens we have to bear alone. That's what that second word burden means, a specific load that has to be borne. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. And part of that, I believe, is using the ability that God has given you, whatever that ability is, to faithfully serve God. That's part of our work. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God has designed both the human body and the church as it pleases him, hadn't he? Okay? Why does the human body look like it looks? Because that's the way God designed it. In fact, it says in the book of Genesis, God said, let us make man. And, and very literally, it says the blood flowing, shadow casting image, which we intend to become. So the reason the human body looks like this is because God said, this is the body I'm going to take on when I come as Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look like this. Well, why does this church look like this? I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the body. Because God put you here. I believe that with all of my heart. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Okay? And so if you're a member of this church, and if God put you here, okay? And I believe, I won't, I've told folks, I'm not going to try to entice, encourage, enforce 
whatever, anybody to become a member of this church. When people visit, I tell them this. If God wants you here, we want you here. Amen. You need to do what God says. You know. But I also tell them this. If God wants you somewhere else, you need to be where God wants you. Now, sometimes we lose members that way. But I want people to be in fellowship with God, where God wants them to be, doing what God wants them to do. And so if, but, but if you're here, and if God put you here, He put you here for a reason. You may only be a little toe, or an ear, or a nose. I don't know what your position in the body is, okay? But if God put you here, you know how important a little toe is? Mm-hmm. In the South, we say stump. You stump your toe, your little toe, and you say, we're still working on my big toe. Remember a few weeks ago I told you I, I saw this stump and I thought it was rotten and I'm going to kick it over. Don't do that. Make sure it's rotten before you kick it because we're still working on my toe, all right? Every member of the human body has a function and every member of the church body has a function. We have something to do. And if the members of the body, whether the physical body or the church body, don't all carry out the purpose for which they were designed, the body does not function at 100%. I wrote something years ago. I don't know what I've done with it, but I've suggested that you know, most churches today, about one-fourth of our membership shows up on any given Sunday. Most of the Lord's churches today are operating at one-fourth capacity. Now, if your body was operating at one-fourth capacity, where would you be? Well, I'd be in the hospital. You'd be in ICU. You might be on life support. A lot of churches are on life support today because the body's not operating at 100%. God will not ask you to do that which you cannot do or that which you cannot learn to do. I saw this many years ago, and I've always liked it. It says, the Spirit of God will not lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. God's not going to give you something to do that you can't do. Because guess what? If you can't do it, and God doesn't give you the ability to do it, and yet He says do it, you've got an excuse for not doing it. But not, God's not going to ask you to do something you can't do. Some folks have five talents. Some folks have two talents. Some of us only have one. But folks, here's a good reason not to sit in judgment of other people in their service of God. Is that person doing what God gave them to do? Well, amen, glorify God on their behalf. Okay? Don't expect them to do something else if God didn't give them that, uh, the ability to do that. So what is your ability this morning? What is your capacity this morning? That's the question to ask. And don't say, I don't have an ability. God didn't save you for no reason. Okay. Everybody can witness. All you have to do is tell people what God's done for you. I was a sinner. I was lost. I was going to hell. God saved me through repentance and faith in Christ. And now I'm going to heaven. Man, that doesn't take 30 seconds. Everybody can pray. Everybody can read the Bible. Everybody can encourage somebody. We all have those abilities. And if you can't do anything else, and God's giving you two good legs. You can show up here and encourage the pastor. Because you know how discouraging it is to look out and see a bunch of, I used to say wood, but we got covered pews, so I can't say wood anymore. But, you know, 
So there's the departure, there's the distribution, here's the dealing. That's verses 16 through 18. It refers to the activity in which we are to be engaged and activities which we are to avoid. What did the servant with five talents do? He traded. Anybody can make money with money, right? I mean, if you've got a little bit of money, if nothing else, put it in a savings account. It'll draw a whopping 1% interest or quarter of a percent or whatever it is these days. But anybody can make money with it. I've got one bank account. And the only reason I have it is because when Erin went away to college, I, I put some money in that bank and she had an account there so I could transfer money she needed and all that, trying to be sort of wise. And uh, I've just got very little, a bit amount of money. But every month I get, I get four cents interest. I'm going to get rich, folks. But I'm making money with money, right? Everybody can do that. So he traded. What does it mean? To, he worked. He labored. He put those five talents to work. He did not manipulate other people. He did not make excuses. He took what was given him and he went to work. Is there a message there? What about the servant with two talents? He gained. That literally means to gain profit from. The words used in the fourth chapter of James when the man said, I'm going to go to such and such a city and stay there for a year and I'm going to buy and sell and get gain. He gained. He made a profit. He took what he had and he made something out of it. He used what he had to gain more for his master. Okay? What are we supposed to do? Use what we have to gain more for our master. I've known some men who were just fantastic soul winners. I could name one. I think Brother Truman and a few other folks would recognize the name. This man, if you talk to him, he had a little bitty red-haired man about that tall. And if you talk to him, he was going to talk to you about the Lord. He wanted to see people saved because he had come from sort of a rough life and he had been saved and he was thankful for it and he was just willing to witness to everybody. And I've known preachers, you'd almost have to take them in a chokehold to get them to witness to anybody. But at least they were witnessing. But this servant gained. He got more for his master. Then we come to the last servant. He's like so many of God's people today. He said, I digged. He dug in the earth. He dug a hole. That's what it means. He said he hid to, to hide away, to conceal. He took what his master gave him. He dug a hole. He stuck it down in the hole, covered the hole up, and said, now when my master comes back, I'll be able to give him what he gave me totally unused. His motive's not revealed, but I think it's going to be. There's no biological data given on this. We don't know anything about other than what the scripture tells us about these men. We don't need it. I think their activities reveal their hearts. See, either we know the Lord or we don't. Either we serve the Lord or we don't. There's not any middle ground here. Either you're serving Jesus as a child of God or you're not serving him. 1 John chapter 2. Now these are God's words through the Apostle John. These are not Brother Jim's words. I want you to know that first off because it gets pretty, pretty tough to listen to here. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. How do I know that I'm, some people Brother Jim, I, I'm questioning my salvation. I don't know whether I'm saved or not. Well, are you obeying the Lord? You know, that's what it says here. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments 
uh-oh, it gets real sticky here, is a liar. Don't call me a liar. I didn't. God did. Okay? He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are of him. How do I know that I'm a child of God? I listen to God. I obey God. God's love is perfected or completed in me. I'm doing what he told me to do. How many times, and I'm not going to ask her to answer, but how many times when my children were growing up did I say, obedience is a way to show that you love dad. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Obedience, just doing what God said to do. These servants picture us. Some are busy using what they have for the Lord to his glory. Some are just digging holes. Just digging holes and putting their talents in the holes. Too many of God's people. By the way, I'm, I'm a, may I be the, the proud father for a moment? Aaron took up flute in junior high school. No? Before that? Intermediate. Intermediate school. Played through that, through junior high, through high school, through college. We miss her in the choir, but I'm thankful that she's using that talent that God gave her I think it adds a little bit to, to our music, too, to have that instrument played. I love listening to the flute. But too many of God's people are hiding themselves, are camouflaging themselves with the world so as to conceal what they are. Is that because we fear? Listen, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. God doesn't give us timidity, moral cowardice. God gives us power, okay? And love. And a sound mind. And then is it out of shame? Listen to what the scripture says in the book of Mark. Jesus said this, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I don't know what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like, obviously. But I sure don't want to hear my Lord say, Father, I'm ashamed of him. He didn't serve you. He didn't bring you glory. He lived for himself. Lifted up himself. Oh, Lord, please don't let that happen. So, we come finally in verses 19 through 25 to what I call the determination. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. He went away. He was gone a long time. But he said, I'd be back, and guess what? He came back. Jesus went away. He said, I'd be back. Guess what? He's coming back. Amen. Due to delay, okay? I understand human beings. Due to delay, there's a temptation, isn't there? How many of us, especially as children, were given a chore to do and waited till the last minute till mom and dad got back home to get that taken care of? They're coming back. Well, a car's in the driveway. Better get this done right quick, right? I don't speak out of experience. But due to delay, there's a temptation to think like the evil servant in Matthew 24, 48. And it says there, but, but and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunken, he goes on to say this, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he's not aware of. Boy, I can live it up. And just before Jesus comes, 
just before I die, I'm going to get real serious about serving God. Guess what? You may not have that opportunity. He comes, remember, as a thief in the night. What happens when things don't happen on our time schedule? Uh, you know, sometimes we get like the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Hey, Aaron, Moses has gone up in the mountain. We hadn't seen him for 40 days. Build us an idol. Build us some calves that we can worship and call our God. You've got to be careful about saying, well, he's gone away. Because in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. And then it says he reckoneth with them. Reckon means to settle an account. I don't know if you've ever heard the sermon. I fortunately have been able to hear it. The sermon, Payday Sunday, by Dr. R.G. Lee. Wonder, if you get a chance, you need to listen to that. There is a payday someday. You may get away with things on this earth. But you know what the scripture says? Romans 14, verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I liveth, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. In the book of Matthew, the scripture says, Jesus is going to call into account every idle word that we speak. And that scares me to death. An idle word is a useless word. It's a word that has no purpose, no benefit. The judgment seat of Christ is real and all the same must appear before him. So the reckoning in verses 20 through 28, the servant with five talents, what happened? Well, he got five talents more or he gained five talents more, and the master of the house said, Enter into the joy of thy Lord. I like what he said. He said, Thou good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. Same thing with the one with two talents. He got two more, he says, Enter into the joy of the Lord. You've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. You notice something here? Both servants produce different amounts, right? But they receive the same praise. Why is that? Because each man used what God gave him to serve God. Don't say I can't. The servant with one talent gave back to his master what he had been given. Look at his, his excuses based on false, a faulty opinion, faulty reasoning. He offers his opinion as fact. What does he say? I knew that you're a hard man. I knew that you're difficult. I knew that you reap where you don't sow and, and all of that that he said. And then he said, because of that wrong opinion, is what it was, I was afraid. Now this is an excuse. You know how I know it's an excuse? Because if he was really afraid, he'd have gotten out there and done something for his master. Amen. He would have been busy serving his master instead of just hiding that talent away. If his master was the kind of man he thought, the servant still did wrong. If the master was as he thought, he should have been afraid not to work. And so his master says, I'm going to just judge you out of your mouth. <laughs> you know what? The Lord's going to judge us out of our own mouths one of these days. We need to be careful about making excuses. Well, well a week from this Sunday, preacher, I'm going to have a headache and I won't be able to come to church. <laughs> hey, I've heard almost that. Well, guess what? You do that, you might have a bad headache a week from this coming Sunday and not be able to come to church. 
We need to quit making excuses for our failure of God. We need to quit making excuses for not serving God. Out of your own mouth, I'm going to judge you. And look what he calls him. He calls him a wicked and a slothful servant. Wicked means he's got an evil name. He is just disposed to, to do things wrong. Slothful means he's lazy. I don't know which is the greatest detriment to the Lord's churches today, sin in the church or laziness in the church. But since laziness is probably sin, I think it's probably sin in the church. Too many hypocrites in the church. You're right, there are. Quit being one, right? And so he says in verse 27, Thou oughtest therefore to put my money to the exchangers, then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. We get a glimpse into his character. He's lazy, he's evil. Any, I said, anybody can make money with money, and this guy didn't do it. You should have at least put it in the bank and gotten your 1% interest, gotten your 4 cents. You'd have had a little bit more to give me. But you didn't do it. So here's the declaration. We're going to close with this. It's not our ability that's under consideration, folks. It's our use of the ability that God has given us. Amen. What did God give you? Use it. Not our ability, but how we use the ability God's given us. And look, this man was cast into outer darkness. Now, this is not hell. Okay? Why do you know that's not hell? Because these are all three had the same position. They were servants. You can't make two of them saved servants and one of them a lost servant. They were equal. They had the same master. A lost man does not have the master that you and I have. A lost person's master is Satan. Our master is God. And I'd take God over Satan any day, wouldn't you? So, so here's a safe, what does it mean to cast into outer darkness? It it's basically means excluded from reward. You're not going to get anything. I'm not going to tell you you've done well. I'm not going to tell you enter into the joy of your Lord. What does the scripture tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? There's going to be judgment fires put to our work. Some of us going to be burned up. Even if all of your works are burned up, if you know Christ the Savior, at least you'll be saved. Yet so as by fire, the scripture says... But then we have that scene in Revelation when we're represented in the four and twenty elders when we put our crowns at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and worship and glory of Him. And must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet Him must I empty-handed go. I got nothing to cast at the feet of Jesus in worship of Him. And that will mean something in that heavenly scene. It may not mean much right now, but it will mean something in that heavenly scene. His talent was taken away from him, given to the one with five talents. You know what? We may see other people get rewards that we could have gotten. Maybe should have gotten. Whatever the ability, the talent, the skill that God has given us, use it or lose it. I'm afraid not to preach, folks. Some people post mission statements for their own lives. So I decided to post one. Preaching and teaching God's Word is my life. It's what I live for. There's a reason my computer is the second, actually the first thing, because I have to turn it on. The second place I go in the mornings you know what the first is? Coffee pot. <laughs> go by, turn the computer on, go to the coffee pot, come back to the computer. 
By the time I get my coffee and that computer is booted up and ready to go, I'm ready to go. When others are watching movies online, I'm listening to messages from preachers I trust to speak the truth. Preaching is what God called me to do and I am not happy unless I'm doing it. And I cannot imagine, accept, consider any of those of not being in the pulpit and preaching God's word on Sunday morning. Listen, every preacher that God has called knows I got to preach. I got to. I spent a year and a half not pastoring, not preaching every Sunday, and I was miserable. I'd sit there and listen to the pastor and say, I need to be up there. I could do something with that sermon. Well, I could do something with those thoughts. I could preach that. I could, yeah. Uh -huh. You've got to. If God called you to do it and put it in your heart, you've got to do it. It's your life. It's as common as breathing to a man that God has called to preach his word. I'm sorry I, I got off on that, but I just wanted you to know that. Second John 8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. I believe 100% of the crowns and rewards that are available to every child of God are available to every child of God, and we just disqualify ourselves from them somewhere along the way by not being obedient to the Lord. I'm trying to get through. Y'all pray for me. This man tried to blame his failures on his master. Did you ever say, I can't witness? Be careful. Did you ever say, I can't sing? That's okay, make a joyful noise. Did you ever say, I can't serve God? Hey, how about this? Did you ever say, the Lord can't use me? You know what you do when you do that? You're making yourself greater than God. Jesus closed this parable by saying there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe that describes the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, preacher, we're not, we're not supposed to cry in heaven. You read the scriptures, you don't see no more tears till you get over to Revelation 21. I believe when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we see our lives, what they could have been and what they were, there may be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our failures of God are going to be proclaimed. And folks, I would much rather hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many rather than hear you wicked and slothful servant. I'm going to take away from you what you had. I, I got to wrap it up. What ability, what talent do you have that you did not receive from God? Life itself comes from him. Are you using your talent that God gave you to the best of your ability in serving him through this church? How are you building upon the life that God's given you? Everybody builds with something, gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And the judgment fire of God is going to be put to our building. Folks, there's a day of reckoning for our faithfulness as children of God coming you know I, I really I sometimes jokingly say boy I hope but I really do that the judgment seat of Christ is private because I don't want y'all hearing about my life okay I don't want you hearing my failures whatever it is however it takes place we will stand before our Lord just think about this and then we're going to have an invitation I'm going to try to make it this real brief but think about this Standing, I don't know, we'll be, I assume we'll be standing, maybe we'll be kneeling. I don't know. But looking into the eyes 
of the one who gave himself on the cross and giving account for our lives. Sometimes his eyes are pictured as a burning fire. I don't know what they'll look like. But folks, I can't imagine looking into the eyes of Jesus having failed him with my life. I got to preach.